Well, guys, um, I want to introduce to you our speaker this morning. His name is Randy Ritzma. I've known Randy for a long time. It's probably been 20-plus years. Uh, Randy, when we started this breakfast back, I think it was around 2002, we called it Iron Sharpens Iron. And Randy was part of the core team that started, and he was one of the leaders that started the breakfast with Pastor John Bontrager. And uh, he's been back with us for uh, several months now, and he's leading at table number two with Tim Haney. And so would you give a warm welcome to Randy? He's married to his wife, Tammy, and they've got two sons. And welcome him as he comes this morning to share God's word. Well, good morning, gentlemen. We have an opportunity this morning to talk about vision for manhood. Vision for manhood. I'm going to dial right in because we only have a little time here this morning. Helen Keller. Are you all familiar with Helen Keller? Born deaf and blind and through uh, a mentor and someone who came along her side, helped her communicate with the outside world even though she was blind, deaf, and not able to speak. And she said something remarkable years ago. She said, I feel sorry for people who have sight but no vision. That's remarkable for, from a woman who could not see or talk, or sorry, see or hear uh, from birth, and yet she was able to become an influence in her world. And we talk about different men throughout the Bible uh, who had issues. Samson um, had a lust problem. Um, Moses had a speaking problem. He said, Lord, here I am, send Aaron. And so many other men, Jeremiah said, Lord, I'm, but I'm, I'm about a child. I'm too young. And so many of us have things that have damaged us or harmed us or injured us or hurt us. And men deal with things differently. Women are more free to re reach out where men are more likely to go in a corner and just sit there and, uh, and suffer alone. But the thing about manhood is that God wants to bring healing to our lives, freedom to our lives, so we're, in turn, able to go help someone else. We just talked this morning at leadership how alcohol and drugs had been an influence in men's lives to their very death. Cut short. Stolen. The devil is a thief. The Bible says, John 10.10, 10, that the devil comes to kill, steal, and destroy, but I have come to bring life and life more abundant. But it's not only life for us to be free, but it's free to help others. Free to serve, freed up to give back what God has done to us. Freely you have received, freely give. Proverbs 2 talks, or sorry, Proverbs 29, 18 says, Where there is no vision, people cast off restraint or perish. And cast off restraint, how many times don't you see the wild living down on spring break, the wild boys, the wild guys. People cast off restraint when there's no purpose but to have fun, but to beat someone up, but to go as fast as they can, do all kinds of things. Some of us guys are adrenaline junkies. <laughs> Those are the guys you see on ESPN, you're like, I would never do that. You did what? You drive off a cliff 200 feet? You ride a motorcycle 200 miles an hour and jump how many buses? What are you, crazy? Yeah, <laughs> they're adrenaline junkies. But that's how God made us. There's that testosterone that God put in us to fight, to protect, to stand up, 
to initiate, and to lead. And we can use that testosterone however we choose to bring help or harm, hurt or healing. The definition of vision is simply being able to see, the act of seeing. And many times when we in our youth, we don't have a vision for manhood. What does this thing look like? Is it, isn't it about getting all I can, putting it in a can, and sitting on the can? Isn't that what it's about? No, it's not. Um, so vision is being able to see, okay, what, what, who am I, where am I going, and how am I going to get there? It's about being able to see yourself in the future. And that's why we get married, because we see ourselves partnering with another person experiencing the joys and sufferings and trials of life together with someone next to our side. And that's exactly what the God through the Holy Spirit does. He's the Holy Paraclete, one who comes along your side to help. He comes along our side to help. Manhood. What is manhood? It's the state of being a man rather than a child. Oh, well, that helps. Thanks for coming. <laughs> It's about not being a child, it's being a man. Okay, well, what does that look like? And that's what we're here for this morning. That's what we're going to develop here a little bit. Um, it's having manly traits or characteristics. Manly traits or characteristics. Well, we're going to watch a little video here a little bit uh, for a few minutes. It's from Braveheart. And I'm going to set the stage. Early on, young William Wallace, William Wallace was sent away with his uncle to be taught to be a man because his father and brother were killed by the English. And he's a Scotsman. And as part of the rite of passage to becoming a man or a challenge, it was to see how far you could throw a boulder. So William Wallace was away. He comes back. There's a celebration. It's a um, celebration of a marriage to come. And his childhood friend drops a boulder between him and himself. And you'll see what happens here in this uh, clip from Braveheart. Test of manhood. You win. <laughs> Call it a test of soldiery then. The English won't let us train with weapons, so we train with stones. Well, a test of a soldier is not in his arm. It's here. No, it's here. <laughs> <laughs> Son, show me how. Come on, boy. 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 Come
Marcus Rowe. Hi. Hi, boss. I was wondering if you could do that when it matters. As it, as it matters in battle. Could you crush a man with that throw? I could crush you like a worm. <laughs> you could. Aye. Well, then do it. Would you like to see him crush me like a worm? <laughs> Come do it. David, move. I will not. Hey. You'll move. Come on, Amish. Shaky. Should have remembered the rocks. I should have. <laughs> Get up, you big heaper. That's good to see you again. Ah, welcome home. <laughs> oh, I should have moved. That's a classic. Test of manhood. Competition, <clears throat> manning up. I can throw faster, jump farther, run faster, whatever that may be. And that's just part of who we are. We're, we're, we're in a sense, made to compete. We're meant to go out, find uh, that animal, feed our families, um, stand up on the front lines. That's who God made us to be. There's several bees that men test their manhood on. One is the ball field, another is their billfold, another is babes, and the other, that's right, biceps. So if I say a first name, this is a, this is a participatory thing, if I say the first name, think of the last name. When I say biceps, I'll say Arnold. When I say billfold, I say Bill when I say babes, I say Hugh. You can say that, Hefner. <laughs> and lastly, Ballfield, Bo. Bo Jackson. Bo knows, right? So I say that because we see these icons of this is what manhood looks like. It's billfolds, babes, biceps, and ball fields. That's where we test our manhood. That's where we say, I've arrived. That's where I say, I'm better than you. I'm richer than you. I'm smarter than you. I have more girls than you. And we all know in our hearts that's not it. But somehow our culture keeps enticing us. This is where it's at. You win if you make this much money. You win if you're able to seduce this many girls. I'm just saying it because that's our culture and that's the temptation we all face as men. I'm going to pause there real quick because the sexuality that God gave us is a good thing. It's like a river in its banks. It brings life. But outside of its banks, it brings destruction. King David was God's best man. King Solomon was God's wisest man. 
Samson was God's strongest man. And yet, what temptation, what temptation did they succumb to that caused a fall or a stumbling in their life? Sexuality, lust. So if God's best man, God's wisest man, and God's strongest man stumbled in that, it doesn't give us the right to feel better about our own struggles and shortcomings. But what it does is it gives us a perspective. It's a powerful thing that's meant to be stewarded. It's a powerful thing that can also be our fall, downfall. So I share that because there's so many examples in our culture, again, and Hollywood makes millions of dollars a year telling stories. Now I'm getting ahead of myself. But let's go to Jeremiah 9. I'm going to read some scriptures here this morning because we want to be scripture-based on manhood. Again, the world has their own definitions of successes of manhood. Jeremiah 9, 23 and 24, and believe it or not, it relates to the different areas of the bees we just talked about. Jeremiah 9, 23. This is what the Lord says. Let not the wise man boast of his wisdom, or the strong man boast of his strength. Or the rich man boast of his riches. But let him who boasts boast about this, that he understands and knows me. I am the Lord who exercises kindness, justice, and righteousness on earth. For in these I delight, says the Lord. So God is spelling it out for us right now, what it is that he's about, and he wants us to boast in not all these other things, but that we know God. We're in right relationship with our Heavenly Father. For the sake of time, I won't uh, read them, but Galatians 5 is fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, kindness, long-suffering. Definition of, of uh, long-suffering is what? Suffering a long time. And many times we have gone through those periods of suffering of, God, when is this going to be over? When is the healing coming? When is the restoration coming? When is, everybody else seems to be getting a new house, a new job, success, accolades, the plaque on the wall, the celebration, the applause. What about me? <laughs> what about me? And sometimes it's, it's, it's when we compare ourselves with others, which is not wise, that's where we become angry, frustrated, broke down, busted, and disgusted. Well, what do we do then? God says, I am the one who gives you purpose, affirmation, and love. See, the world brings guilt and condemnation. God brings forgiveness and affirmation. Your heavenly Father brings you forgiveness and affirmation. 1 Corinthians 13, again, love, a definition of what love looks like. And it says, Paul, and Paul says this right towards the end of 1 Corinthians 13. He says this, for when I was a child, I thought like a child. I spoke like a child, and I acted like a child. But when I became a man, I put those childish things far from me. And that's a process. Growing into manhood is a process. Another uh, good scripture that gives us a perspective of what God is thinking about manhood. First Corinthians, or sorry, First Kings two. 1 Kings 2, 1 through 3. This is King David talking to Solomon, two of the men we just spoke to or spoke about a few minutes ago. And David is giving this charge to, to Solomon. He's passing on the mantle to say, Son, this is what a godly man looks like. 
So King David, God's best man, passing on knowledge and wisdom to his son, God's wisest man. Well, what did he say? I'm glad you asked. Here we go. When the time drew near for David to die, he gave a charge to Solomon, his son. I am about to go the way of all the earth, he said. So be strong. Show yourself a man and observe what the Lord your God requires. Walk in his ways and keep his decrees and commands, his laws and requirements as written in the law of Moses so that you may prosper in all you do and wherever you go. Wow, that's powerful. We think about that. King David, a man after God's own heart, giving advice and wisdom and passing the torch to his son Solomon to say this is what a man looks like. Well, where does that strength come from? The joy of the Lord is our strength. When we are weak, he is strong. Let me share something with you. I love how Hollywood gets it wrong so many times, and I love it when they get it wrong so many times. Samson, whenever you see the movies about Samson, what is he? He's, he looks like Arnold. He looks like Lou Ferrigno. He looks like, you know, The Rock. Full of muscles, rippling, tall, strong, just bulging at every, every, every place. But if we read Scripture right, the Philistines didn't know where Samson got his strength from. <laughs> he was probably a 110-pound weakling. He was a regular guy. They're like, where does he get all this strength from? It wasn't in the muscles. It wasn't in the biceps. It wasn't because he was training like Arnold. It was because he was training like King David. He was off by himself with God. Now, he also fell as well. But he got his strength from the Lord. And that's where our strength needs to come from. It comes from God. It's not so much about conquering and being the man of God. It's about surrender and yielding. We're strongest most when we're on our knees. But as men, so often we want to go out and conquer something. We want to do something. We want to show ourselves something. Someone said one time that I don't care. You give me 100 men. who are working in the kingdom of God. I care not for the hundred. I care for the one who is on his knees in prayer, being strengthened to do the work. And that's about humility. It's about submission. And it's about in right standing with Father God. That's where our strength comes from. First Chronicles 19.13 says, Be of good courage and let us play the man. For our people and for the cities of our God, fight and be courageous. And that's what it says Joshua, uh, Joshua was encouraged by God. God himself said to Joshua, Moses, my servant, is dead. He was, he was drawing the line. He says, by the way, Moses, my servant, is dead. You now lead these people into the land. So I believe it's Joshua 1.9 says, be strong and courageous. Have I not command, commanded me? I've commanded you. And God won't tell us to do something unless... He'll enable us to do it. So it's about that yielding and submitting, that time with him, asking for him to be strong, asking him to be mighty on our behalf, asking him to be partnering with us as a father, as a husband, as a co-worker, as a brother. That strength comes from the Lord. 
And that's how we're able to overcome. It's not about being the man, a self-made man. It's about being God's man. A lot of this has to do with identity. Adam walked with God in the cool of the day, but sin separated him from God. If you go back, there's so many garden variety lessons in the Garden of Eden. God created man for fellowship. He walked with Adam in the cool of the day. But then sin entered, and what happened when God came looking for Adam? Adam, like God didn't know, right? Sometimes God will ask us questions for us to admit and to acknowledge the answer. Adam, where are you? Um, Well, I hid, Lord, because I was afraid. Afraid? Why were you afraid? Because I was naked and I hid. So as a result of Adam's sin, he sewed some fig leaves together to cover his nakedness. But God slaughtered an animal and gave him an animal skin. God, again, shed that blood of an innocent animal and clothed Adam and Eve. He does the same thing with us today. He clothes us with righteousness and covers our nakedness in sin. God does that for us. And he he takes that sin away because that's a barrier. There's a barrier between us and God until we receive Christ as the way back to our Heavenly Father. There's a barrier there. And that's why men are trying to find fulfillment in so many other things. They're trying to fulfillment in their job. I thought I would, you might not believe this, but it's true. I forget which of the uh, quarterbacks, maybe it was Tom Brady. He said, after three Super Bowl rings, I thought that was it. But then after those three rings, I thought, what else is there? Is this it? Isn't there more? And we think about that. Well, Hollywood stars, you know, how they make how many millions of dollars, or, or to be Bill Gates, or to be all these other guys. But why is there so much trouble in Hollywood with drugs, alcohol, partying, and weird stuff? Why? Because they're looking for God in the wrong places. They're trying to fill that, you've heard it a thousand times, it's true. They're trying to fill that God-shaped place in their heart with something else. John Eldridge, you've all heard of probably John Eldridge. He said, don't look to Eve to find your identity and fulfillment and to affirm who you are. Don't look to Eve. And how many times don't we find men looking for love in all the wrong places? We find our our love and affirmation from our Heavenly Father. That gives us the strength and the perspective that we need as we go throughout our day, our life. You see... Ephesians 1 talks about being adopted sons. Ephesians 1, 3 through 8. I won't have to take the time to read it. But it talks about being adopted. We're adopted back into the kingdom of God. We were separate, but now we're in the family. We're bros. We're bros now. We're brothers in Christ. We're family. I'll never forget one time Tammy and I were on vacation. We were watching just a little uh, snippet about gangs, about motorcycle gangs. And something really caught my eye and my ear. They said, these guys have my back. They're like family to me, family that I never had growing up. Family. Family. What is family? It's relationship. It's someone who has your back. It's someone who cares about you and loves you in spite of who you are, in spite of your weaknesses. They love you and accept you and support you. And are behind you. Someone said, well, well, don't get too weird with that because, you know, your sons, that's true. And Jesus is our older brother. The Bible says that. 
And we get, you know, Jesus is a friend of mine, and, and that, that's good. That's, that's awesome. Paul, who had every reason and right to say, I got it going on, said, I'm nothing. Paul said, I'm a servant of Jesus Christ. So Paul's identifying himself as a servant, sinner saved by grace, the chief of sinner. But over here, the Bible elevates our status to say, hey, you're in right relationship. You're a prince. You're a son of the most high God. You're going to rule and reign with Christ Jesus. So which one is it? It's both. And I'm not the wisest guy. I'm a wise guy sometimes, <laughs> but the wisest man. But I'll say this. Can we be sons who serve? It's not, okay, you know, because then there's God. And then I grovel, and, I, and I'm afraid of God, and I, I'll, I'll do whatever you say. Just don't, just, just bless me. Just don't, don't hurt me. And over here, it's like, well, who's next, bless God? Who's next? And over here, there's, there's pride. There's arrogance. It's about me. And over here, it's about fear and, and being afraid that God's going to punish me. So we are sons who serve our Father God. We're restored in right relationship. Matter of fact, years ago, we, uh, I was going through some um, manhood training myself, and still I'm in training. Until I pass away, I'm still in training. We never graduate from our manhood training. But I was praying, and I had this distance between myself and God. I'm like, God, what is that? And God gave me a vision of a little three-year-old. And I'm not going to get misty because I used to. But there was this figure that was shadowy on this big throne, and I came up as a little three-year-old. And I was afraid that God was going to put me across his knee and discipline me. But you know what he did instead? <laughs> he put me on his knee and hugged me and told me he loves me. So deep down in my heart, I didn't even know it. And sometimes we don't even know our own hearts. God knows our hearts. So instead of putting me across his knee, he put me on his knee and told me he loved me. Now, that's what Randy needed. And each and every one of us have a little bit different story. Another time, I was out on a retreat in Montana. I was blessed to be able to go. And I'm sitting on a mountainside, looking over the trout stream, seeing a moose, and just reflecting and God said this to me because he spoke to me as a father would. He didn't cut, he didn't mince any words, he cut to the chase. And he said to me, you have served me half-heartedly half your life. Now serve me wholeheartedly the rest of your life. See, God says so much in so little. When many words are present, sin is not absent. <laughs> wow. <laughs> yeah. God says so much and so little. You've served me half-heartedly half your life. Now serve me wholeheartedly the rest of your life. Now, those things don't happen unless you're seeking, unless you're humbling yourself, unless you're in those quiet times where God can speak into your life. So many times we have other people speaking into our lives that don't know us, love us, and don't understand us. But somehow that coach ruined our confidence. Somehow that woman that I married that said that she would love me and honor me has done nothing but. That boss that you had said that you're worthless, you're dumb, you're not going to go anywhere. It's your father that you grew up with. All these things can harm us and hurt us and hold us back as men. So we need God to speak into our hearts and lives because when God speaks into our hearts and lives, that's where the healing and the wholeness begins. 
And that's where the strength begins. Because my dad said I could. (laughs) Because my dad said he made me this way. See, so often, we, that's where a lot of the hurt came. Our earthly father, gentlemen, our biological father, was supposed to introduce us to our heavenly father, spiritually. But because of where he was hurt and hindered and weak, he was limited. So I'm just going to say this because our time is, is, is going quickly. We need a new filter. We need a new filter that we're filtering life through our heavenly father and not through our earthly father. We need God to speak into our, as he said about Jesus when he was water baptized and anointing came, this is my son whom I am well pleased. And some of us probably need to hear this because every time I say it, I still am trying to comprehend it. Jesus was praying for us before he went to suffer death on the cross. And he said, Father, for I, John, uh, John 17, Father, for I know that you love me or love them as much as you love me. I'm like, what? That's in there? Yeah. Jesus said that about our Heavenly Father. Father, for I know that you love them as much as you love me. And we sang about that this morning. God's love, my my open arms. So often we see God as this. Instead of... And that's the picture that God himself had Jesus talk about, the parable of the prodigal son, the wayward son. God wasn't sitting here around a table with the other sons who were getting it right going, what's that filler doing back on the ranch? Run him off, Jake. Get rid of him now. No. <laughs> what did he do? He was waiting. He was sitting there waiting and watching. What's dad doing? He's still waiting for Joe Blow. Oh, great. Still waiting, huh? Good luck with that, Dad. So all of a sudden, there he is in the distance. And his father ran to him. Father God is waiting for us. He's yearning for us. His heart is for us to be restored. He made a way through Jesus Christ to be restored to him because of the sin that separated. Now the grace has made a way where there seemed to be no way. He's a way maker. There's that song, he's a way maker. And I'm not a musician. Maybe I could have Tim sing it. He's a way maker. He parts the Red Sea. He provides for us in the desert. He did it for the Israelites. He does it for us. So we need a new filter of who God is. And that's going to be um, revealed through Jesus, how he related to people. That's how Father God relates to us. Finishing up here, as so my time has gone quickly, some, some godly men who gave great vision for manhood. Ed Cole, now in heaven said this. He said, Christ-likeness and manhood are synonymous. They're the same thing. Well, what does a man look like? He looks like Jesus, tough and tender. He was tough with the Pharisees, tough with the people that, um, that were um, against him, but he was also tender with those who were caught up in sin. He was tender with those, and he had mercy and grace for them. That's who God is. He has mercy and grace for each and every one of us. All he asks for us is to admit responsibility. And that's my next, uh, next um, definition. Robert Lewis wrote a book called Raising a Modern Day Night. And he said this, four things. And I, I hang on to this. I write this down because I need this perspective. He said, a man leads courageously, rejects passivity, accepts responsibility, and looks for a higher reward. It's not all about this life 
but it's about eternity. It's about heaven. Another phrase someone gave me one time, lead, guide, and provide. A man leads, he guides and provides. As he's led by his heavenly father, he leads his family, he leads his friends, he leads those around us. John Maxwell talks about being a leader wherever he goes, a 360-degree leader. Wherever he goes, he's leading. And at times, a leader will recognize, hey, I'm not leading today. I'll follow. That takes humility. Because some of us, we're geared for leadership. That's just who we are. But there are times when we're called to follow. And this using that discernment, God, what do you want me to lead here? Or do you want me to be a support here? John Eldridge, Wild at Heart. There's a man at Wild at Heart series and I'll just wrap up here. While the Heart Series talks about being restored in relationship with our Heavenly Father, and there's a battle to fight, an adventure to live, and a beauty to win. Hollywood makes millions of dollars telling those kinds of stories every day. And we have our own story about our battle that we're fighting, the beauty that we won, and the adventure that we're living. I'll leave you with uh, two scriptures. One, Luke 13, 6 through 9. God talks about, he goes to this, this tree. It's not producing fruit. He digs around it. He waters it. He fertilizes it. And then he waits. God is patient with us. He's fertilizing us. He's watering us. He wants us to produce fruit. And he's patient with us. He wants us to produce fruit. And he's committed to helping us get there. In Philippians 1, 6, I love this verse. For he who began the good work in you will complete it until the end. See, gentlemen, this is a process. It's not a destination. It's a process. You're different. We're all different places in our journeys. But no matter where we are in our journey, God is saying, I'm here for you. I'm with you. Let's pick up and move on. I love you. I want you to begin again. And there's a scripture, too, that says a righteous man falls how many times? Seven. But he arises again each time. How? I believe it's through the conviction and the encouragement of the Holy Spirit and other brothers around us. That's how we rise up. And that's what we're doing here in my last phrase. That's what we're doing here on Tuesday mornings. We're helping each other sharpen each other's swords. Iron sharpens iron. And we're equipping men to change their world. And that change happens in us first. And then we go help our brothers.